0: On this episode of the Splendid Sports Podcast, I'm joined by JT from Triple Crown 24 Sports Cards. We talk about being self-employed in the sports card industry, what his business specializes in now, how that could change in the future, would he ever consider working for somebody else, and more. I have a great deal of respect for people who are self-employed. I know what goes into it and what it takes to stay self-employed because I did it myself about 10 years ago. Now, I had the advantage of gaining 10 years of experience in the corporate world before taking the leap, and I did it with a business partner. My guest on this episode, JT, did it by himself and basically right out of college. You have to have a tremendous amount of drive and belief in yourself to do what JT did and to do it at such a young age is pretty damn impressive. I saw an interview of him on one of my favorite sports cards YouTube channels, Bench Clear Media. And after watching it, I said, hey, I'd like to talk to that guy, too. And so I did. Here it is. I watched your recent interview on the Bench Clear Media YouTube channel. And, uh, man, I really enjoyed that. So basically, you graduated in 2018 right and then you started your own business uh, not a part time business but a full- time business in the sports card industry in 2019 right right If someone like who's not in the sports card hobby asks you what your business does what what's your answer to them
1: uh, Suelle sports cards and sports memorabilia have you, have you ever seen King of the Hill? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell people I'm kind of like the Hank Hill where I sell propane and propane accessories, but I just sell sports cards and sports card memorabilia, <laughs> so.
0: That but, hey, that makes sense. Yeah, keep it simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the
0: parts that really hit home for me was when you talked about, you know, you graduated college and the opportunities that you were looking at at the companies that you're interested in working at uh, were like unpaid internships. I graduated college back in 2003, and I immediately flashed back to my own experience when, uh, you know, I graduated as a marketing major and all the opportunities that, that were out there at the time, it seemed like for me at least when I was graduating was uh, sales jobs with commission only, you know, no salary type things, uh, which, you know, wasn't ideal. But for me, I wasn't really capable of starting my own business at that point for many reasons. Uh, so I spent about 10 years in, in the corporate world. And then started my own business. After that, what was your time period like? What was that like between when you graduated and when you officially became self-employed? It was uh,
1: it was a journey, I would say. Um, going uh, getting out of college is one thing; it's a transition that I think is very much so overlooked, and just trying to find yourself, especially when you're you work so hard to get this degree and all of a sudden you're in a spot where you pretty much have to sacrifice everything and you, you you leave high school and you're in this this brand new sea. I went to a very large university uh and then you leave it again and you're in even bigger sea of like the real world so just finding my footing but it was just something that came to me it was an opportunity that was presented to me and I just ran with it as long as I could. Yeah. Wow. so I don't have a
0: business in the sports card industry, but I feel like in a way what you do is a lot like what I do where there's a good amount of competition in the marketplace and the real differentiator is you, the operator. Uh, So like, you you know, you got to out-execute, out-think with a great system, out-work and then develop those trusted relationships with your clients. Am I right on that? Am I on point with what, you know, what you're experiencing?
1: I think that translates perfectly Um, to the sports card world because I do have repeat customers I do have people who come back to me and providing them with that service especially in a world like sports cards it's I know that you said you just got back into it this year but all the craziness that has happened this year is not normal typically things are pretty steady Um, and also what comes with that is that the players in the game are also very steady. So people go to the same places for years and years in the hobby just because they know what they're going to get. And that's why you see some of the titans of the industry now, I would, I would say, and why they have such a stronghold on the industry is just because they've provided that service for so long. And it's, it's definitely difficult to get your foot in the door, uh, especially compared to some of those behemoths out there, but it can be done it's just you gotta outwork outlast kind of like that survivor uh i'll think i'll last i'll play
0: well i'm a big fan of survivor yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know I've, i've been a sports card buyer for like you know 30 years off and on but i've said before like just it seems like to me it was kind of a you know a stagnant industry in a way you know if you if like i would take a break for 6 months from buying cards and i zoom back in and the prices were exactly the same and it felt like that it was like that for years and you know there wasn't a lot of movement the the places like the industry websites were kind of old and um i feel like just in the last it looks like in the last few years especially in the last one or two years there's been a ton of innovation new businesses and it seems like, you know, that you timed it in a, in, a, in a place where you started your business right, maybe right before a lot of that happened. Do you, in if you could take the time machine back and let's say there was no COVID, no boom or whatever the reasons were for the sports card boom, do you think that it would have been a different path for you? Uh, or like, how did that help
1: or hurt you in a way with what you're doing? I don't see too many ways in which it really hurt uh, with everything that happens. It's it definitely helps just because there were more people interested in the hobby and there still are today. I don't really see that changing anytime soon, even if there is this collapse that people think there will be. I, I think in some areas you're starting to see it, um, but I don't necessarily think that those people will leave the hobby to get someone to leave the hobby. It's uh, I always like to say, no one's really gone forever. So once you have that collector gene in you, it's, it's kind of with you forever. And it's just the hobby is so diverse that even if you fall out of love with one thing, you can jump into another. And that's what I've done time and time again. And I'm still fairly hung. So uh, there are plenty of very seasoned collectors out there who have been doing it for decades. And they, they come and go as they please. Um, but for my personal journey, I've kind of kept my business model the same. And I've tried to cater my stuff more mostly towards the collector. And there's really not too much that I would change because I still keep that same mindset today. and Kind of my business model is still uh, really unaffected because there's just there is new interest, And I guess there's more people who do see sports cards as more of alternative assets rather than collectibles. That's understandable just because these cards have monetary value and they have for quite some time. And once it's assigned a monetary value, it's very difficult to erase that. So, if you're looking in the grand scheme of things, um, there's still a collecting element to it, even though the cards might be viewed differently as they once were, but deep down, there's still a collecting process. For example, everything in my store, you could technically say is somewhat of a collection that I have. I mean, it, it is a collection of cards that I have. It just happens to be that they're all for sale. So, a lot of these terms that we used to define a certain way kind of rewriting the hobby dictionary, so to speak. And I, I think that some people are hesitant to that change, but a lot of people have embraced it and evolved themselves as well to go along with that.
0: You have an awesome eBay store, very well-established, um, you know, great ratings. You mentioned to me um, that you you specialize in the cards that you don't see every day on eBay. And then a lot of them are in like the 2 to $10 range. Could you give maybe some examples of like those type of cards that you're talking about?
1: Right. Um, (laughs) I tell people that they're they kind of uh, they guess they have somewhat of an idea in their head. But I'm more so thinking of the things that people don't have the time to list or is just not worth it if they're opening wax. Uh, For example, let's say that you opened up a hobby box of Topps Chrome Baseball 2021. And out of that box, you pulled a let's go with Max Scherzer green refractor number to 99. And you're going to sell some of the cards in the box. The Scherzer card, it might only be like a $10 to $20 card. Maybe it's just not worth your time to list it and go through that process. Maybe you don't think that anyone would want it, but there are player collectors out there. And being a player collector myself is kind of one of those things that shaped it is that there were a lot of cards that I would look for them. like, you know, I bet a lot of these are just sitting in people's boxes and closets somewhere when there are actually people out there who want them, there are set builders out there, there are player collectors, these ways of collecting and these mindsets that have kind of been put on the back burner. People want to chase the big things. And I think the sensationalism of social media has definitely emphasized that. I mean, the the big cards usually get the most likes or clicks or interactions, whatever platform you're using, whereas those lower tier cards they're not as exciting maybe, um, but to some people, it, it could be the last card in the set or it could be the last card in the rainbow, and that's extremely exciting. So just getting those cards that people don't think are worth much, that they don't want to take the time to list and make those available for people is really what I like to have uh, in the store. But I do try to cater to everyone. There are definitely $100 plus cards in there. There's some really cheap base cards as well. If, if you're looking for just some budget options as well, but that's really my bread and butter is that range. Looking at your store, I think it was
0: yesterday, and you have a was a 51 Ted Williams in there Bowman. <laughs> I do, and, yeah. and, and that so like I, that led me to my next question, which is, you know, the for the vision of your business, do you see yourself staying with that bread and butter? Like, hey, I found my specialty. I found my sweet spot. I want that to be like the core of my business. I've built a system around it. I'm efficient. You know, that, that 2 to $10 card like you were talking about. Uh, or if you had the option to like move more of your business to a system where, you know, less transactions but higher commissions when you're selling more graded cards that are, you know, like that Ted Williams $1,000 card type thing.
1: I've always tried to keep myself open to new opportunities and doing that and keeping that open-mindedness, I think has been very crucial in how I've done things. For example, on a whim, I once offered to do consignments for someone and now I have about two dozen people who consign cards with me in my, in my store as well. And keeping that mindset of getting those cheaper cards, a lot of the cards they send me do fall into that bread and butter that I talked about earlier. So, The Ted Williams card, for example, if I could make a couple hundred dollars from what I have into it, that's a pretty good day. I could call it a day at that point. All I have to do is ship out one card. It wouldn't be very much work. Uh, And right now being for the most part a one person operation, I do have some help here and there, but it's not as consistent as I'm hoping it will be in 2022. Uh, It's definitely a lot of work and there's a lot of long hours and I'm willing to put in those hours. I'm willing to make those sacrifices and and take the time to do that. So there's a lot of people out there who have those higher end cards. And I think kind of of all the money that's been thrown into the hobby, will that continue as time goes on? I don't know. I don't know how much of what has happened in the last two years is going to be a permanent effect, but I would like to think that things will never be the same. Um, I think that's probably one of the safest things you could say. So to be able to cater to the people who aren't going to be spending as much or want to go after these cards that other people just aren't offering to sell them, I think that can go a long way because there are people out there and they just may not be the ones who are most active on social media or the ones that you see other people talk about. But there are people who do enjoy collecting those lower end cards and being a source for them while still also catering to, you know, your, your big bucks spenders, I think is a nice happy medium. So. I'm definitely open to acquiring more cards like that. I love acquiring those cards and seeing them come through my hands and ultimately into a collection of someone who's really going to appreciate them. But I also know that there's probably a lot of the other cards out there too. And from some of the feedback I've gotten too, uh, from people from just sending me thank you messages and the sort. Um, so there's a lot of people out there who appreciate the lower end cards too. So it's, it's ultimately making someone's day and helping people enjoy the hobby. I can tell you, I'll give you a little feedback
0: from experience I had earlier in the year. Uh, I was looking at having somebody sell some graded cards for me, and, and some of these were pretty high dollar cards. So my first inkling was, all right, well, eBay's where the most eyeballs are at this point. So I definitely want to look into that. I contacted two of the biggest eBay consigners out there, well known. I didn't get a response back. I got nothing back. And that for me, that was it. I said, "All right, well, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go any further with this route." So, even though there is there is a lot of competition for those you know higher priced cards, graded cards consigning on eBay, I still think just from what I've done a little research on, I think there is some opportunity there uh, to, for someone like you who I can already tell you have you know great follow up skills. You you know the, the customer service you're going to provide, even though you're smaller uh, and haven't been around as long. Uh, maybe some of these bigger outlets, they have taken their eye off the ball in certain aspects. Uh, So that's just, I just want to throw that out there because I think that is an area where you could be very successful with that too. And like you said, uh, maybe it's even less, you need less manpower to sell a graded card for a thousand dollars than, you know, a hundred cards for
1: 10 bucks each or whatever. I do appreciate that a lot. And I, it's something that happens a lot with a lot of the businesses where, um, sometimes it seems like someone is kind of moving to the top and knocking out all their competition. And if we're talking about a sports context. Let's take the Dodgers, for example. The Dodgers picked up everyone last season. Mm-hmm. And come this off season, now they've lost Corey Seager. Uh, there's going to be a few more guys. They'll probably lose Kershaw from what it sounds like when this lockout is over. And you just can't monopolize – these resources if you do not have the means to do it. So you need to have uh, the capacity to do so you need to hire more employees to take care of it. So if your business can't grow to meet demand, then people will move on, especially if there is no uh, brand loyalty there. And I'm sure everyone listening can probably identify which uh, consignees you were talking about uh, through eBay. And, these people are getting absolutely flooded with cards. There's more people selling cards than ever before. So uh, my, a lot of what I do is word of mouth, but just treating people right and using that golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated and having that mutual respect for the buyer and trying to understand the buyer's situation uh, really goes a long way. And I think that there's a lot of, short sightedness where people look to make a quick buck on a lot of cards. Um, whereas sometimes if you're willing to make those compromises you can end up with a lot more in the long run.
0: Yeah, and and this was, you know, earlier in the year it was the the really the heat of the market. I'm sure like you said, I cut a I did you know, I didn't take it personally or anything because I know as a business owner, I know what they were probably going through, right? They were getting absolutely flooded with people trying to sell their cards because prices were at all time highs. Uh, but it is, like you said, it's a lesson that uh, you, you can't be short-sighted because in that moment, they probably felt like, wow, we have so much business now. It, you know, If we miss an email here or there, it's not the end of the world. But you know, flash forward where the market cools off, and I'm sure some of those customers, those relationships they could have started and built that would have been selling cards with them for years and years that they didn't get, uh,
1: maybe they regret some of that. I think so, for sure. Um, a lot of these guys are at the point now where... If you look at just a a product life cycle or a business life cycle, I guess in this case, it would be a service life cycle. Um, They're kind of at this decline uh, stage right now where most businesses you have to either adapt or you will witness some kind of decline. So if your product or service isn't continually innovative, and it doesn't mean you have to make changes all the time, but uh, the hobby is constantly evolving and it's evolving faster than ever before. And sometimes if you just can't meet up with the demand, then uh, you're going to have to relinquish that. So I think that you'll see a shift. Uh, I know that there's a lot of acquisitions and things that are moving around in the hobby. And a lot of people worry about monopolies. But at the end of the day, uh, there is only so much money out there. As much as it may seem like it's infinite money for some of these whales that are kind of in the hobby sea right now, uh, eventually they're going to have to relinquish something. And it all comes back around at some point.
0: So uh, kind of an industry question, I personally would like to see the sports card industry keep growing, but sustainably long term. And I'm sure you, you know, really do as a business owner in the industry. What would you say if you had to pick like the most important piece to that puzzle of bringing in new buyers to the sports card industry?
1: What would you say it would be? So I think a lot of emphasis right now is placed on the extrinsic value of the cards so the physical cardboard itself is not worth anything the only worth of these cards really had is what we put into it and I think that's really the key here where this isn't like it's precious metals or something along those sorts where it can be this commodity that actually holds value that is uh, traded on a commodities market and a lot of the companies I think have kind of catered towards maybe um, you see certain products that are more group break oriented. Uh, for example, Panini One Basketball was just released this week at the time of recording this, and I believe it's around fifteen hundred a box from what I can see. You get one uh, base card, so to speak, that's out of ninety nine, or less. then you get an autograph, and that's that's it for fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> and wow. I don't know too many people out there who can really afford to do that. There are, I mean, I've seen it. I've already seen some people doing personal boxes, but it's definitely more of a group break oriented product. So you've seen the, uh, the manufacturers kind of catering towards that group or with a product like transcendent, for example, Uh, you see more so um, people who are kind of catering towards the grading companies. I know that we've seen before Panini, their encased product has cards that are graded directly by beckett and placed into the product Uh, tops with their bowman chroma x psa graded cards right out of the the product so they're definitely not um i think that's something that we might see more and more of going forward Uh, i'm actually surprised that there hasn't been already more of it now just because those products are a few years old at this point and they really haven't done too much to expand on it but Uh, with the the Fnatic Steel looming, where they kind of want to make it a one-stop shop. That's definitely something I could see them trying to take advantage of when that does come around. Um, But going back to the main point of the question there is that ultimately it has to come back to the intrinsic value of the cards because if people are looking at these strictly for monetary purposes, everyone at some point in time is going to lose. The question is how big are you going to lose and how often are you going to lose? And if you don't really love it, that money can only take you so far and when things start to go sour it's going to be very quick abandon ship time if people don't have this intrinsic value and a genuine love for the hobby so creating products um, if you're a manufacturer that people really enjoy listening to them uh, not making too much of it where people enjoy it a little bit too much or where it's uh, oversaturated and it kind of loses its its value so to speak um, I think is really key there and then just for any other card company that would be I guess a third party service of any sort whether you're talking about selling cards grading cards whatever the case may be it's just understanding all of the needs of the uh, consumer and kind of getting into those core values of the consumer what do they really value in their cards aside from the value of the cards I think there's a lot more to that so listening uh, is very key in that.
0: So my last question, it might be a tough one. It's hypothetical. Uh, let's say one of the companies in the sports card industry that that you you know really like and admire approached you and said, "Hey, we've seen what you're doing. We want you to come work for us." They offer you a position that is more money than uh, you're making now, and the job description something that you you know appeals to you. Are you considering it?
1: Well, there would be some challenges with that. Of course, they have to pretty much buy me out uh, Mm -hmm. to start with. And there's a few challenges that come with that too. And um, the cost to buy me out might not be something that they're willing to pay. I don't know if they would value me as one person. Um, If I had a team of people, then maybe it would be a little bit different. I really personally, just having been my own boss for over two years now, I just can't see myself going back to not being my own boss. I always really want to be in this position no matter what. Um, and I have this vision. I, I really want to see it out. Now, of course, if it was an offer that was too good to refuse, then sure. I would really have to consider it. And I thought it was what was best for me, then I would take care of that because I do need to, I got to pay the bills. I got to, make sure that I'm living my best life as well. Um, But for the most part, I really enjoy the position I'm in. And I would like to be the one who is offering uh, those positions that you speak of to other really good people in the hobby or people who want to enter the hobby or just people in general who are interested in the business. I think that's a good way to grow it and to build a team of people who I won't say are necessarily like minded in every sense, just because it is good to have different opinions but our goals are the same and providing a good experience while also maintaining a successful business and finding that balance. So I really would like to continue with that. I can't really see uh, myself really working for anyone else, especially with how far I've come. Maybe if this was 2019, it'd be a different conversation, but 2021 just not going to happen probably.
0: Yeah. You know what? Based on when I watched your interview with
1: bench clear, I, I got the vibe from that, you
0: know, and, and, uh, I'm going to inject a little, I'll leave you off here. I want to inject a little science, uh, a little off topic, but th- there was, uh, I'm going to send you a link after. Um, th- there was a uh, friend of mine who a few years back sent me, you know, it's another another person who's self-employed, but we always talk about like the, you know, the the pros and cons, but more so the advantages of being your own boss and self-employed. And um, he sent me a link to uh, this uh, kind of a very prominent scientific study that was conducted in um, 2012 and the title of it, again, I'll put it in the show notes as a link and I'll send it to you. But uh, I sent it to anyone who's thinking about starting their own business or has like you uh, leader. It's called leadership is associated with lower levels of stress. The idea behind the study was, you know, there's a common perception out there that business leaders or even like government leaders, military officers, CEOs, small business owners, uh, there's a perception that those people have higher stress levels than non-leaders, like, you know, employees rather than the employer, because the leaders tend to have uh, more demands, more responsibilities, some, a lot of cases, more hours. What was very interesting about this study, and then the reason I wanted to share it, was what they found was that the, the leaders actually had less stress levels. Uh, and the way they measured that was there's a hormone called, in your body called uh, cortisol which basically is a stress hormone. So you, they, the higher that level in your, in your body, you tend to have more stress. So the, they, they found that it was the, the opposite of what the perception was, which was that they had less stress and less anxiety than, than the uh, non-leaders. And and they what they theorized is that the reason for that is basically it's a sense of control. So you've probably you know recognized it many times already. And I know I have over the years where when you're your own boss, there's a lot more work in many cases, more hours. I, I heard you say you work eight to 12 hour days, but when you're your own boss and you have control over your own destiny to a large degree, where you have less stress and anxiety because of that. And again, a lot of times people think it's the opposite. So I'm gonna send you that study, but I just, I've just i always found that to be so interesting because when I worked in the corporate world for 10 years doing sales, a lot of times high pressure sales, there'd be times when I was making more money than I'm, than I'm even making now uh, being self-employed but I didn't feel as good. I, I felt stressed out. I had a lot of anxiety about about the work and I didn't ultimately control my own destiny like I do now. So I always like to share that with people like you because I, I feel like you can't really buy the, the peace that you have when you run your own business successfully.
1: I, I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. And that, I mean, everything that you said there is, uh, I, I'm not a huge science guy. I, I like science, I'm just not very good at it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's why i do sports cards instead it's a little easier for me uh but all of it does make sense and uh i'm I'm kind of i guess at this point i'm addicted to seeing that success and uh controlling my own destiny where uh the highs in life that i get is from pushing that sales goal or to make a a good buy on a collection or, or anything that's associated with that to know that i'm doing something to progress my business on that specific day, I can consider that a win. I think a lot of people have understood, especially since the start of a pandemic, just that a lot of major corporations, you are very expendable. Uh, people can get cut at an instant and it doesn't really matter how long you've been there. Uh, it's kind of just a, a next person up mentality a lot of times. And it, it's really scary to think and it's it's very unfortunate uh, as well, just that, uh, you know, these really hard working class individuals, you, you can snap your fingers and they're gone. They're out of a job and all of a sudden in a very stressful situation there. So kind of, uh, I guess knowing that, you know, if, if things do fail, it's on me, of course, uh, being, being the decision maker and bad decisions, it's something that you have to take accountability for, but, um, having that autonomy is very uh, freeing. And it, it gives you a clearer mind as well. I think that you know, your decision making, uh, it allows you to have a, a larger perspective of things. Whereas if you're in a role, your job is really to just do that role. Um, even if you're in a management position, you're kind of just checking the boxes in a lot of cases. And you could argue too that if you're starting your own business and you have employees, and there is some overlap there too. But you definitely have more of a sandbox feel to what you have rather than in the manager environment where you're still, someone is still above you who's kind of controlling what goes on behind the scenes.
0: On a side note, I look forward to being coming to customer of yours in the near future. I like to do business with people that I like. So that that's why I, I definitely uh, am going to reach out to you about consigning some cards and getting that ball rolling. And um, anyone who's listening, if you're in that, position too, I think it would be a smart choice. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. All right, and then I will talk to you in the near future. All right. See you, man. You have a great day. Thank you, JT. Bye now. Well, I bet you didn't expect to learn about any scientific studies on a sports card podcast, right? (laughs) That's what I'm bringing to the table here, baby, connecting the world of science with sports cards. After listening to that interview with JT, I'm sure you realize he's somebody you should be following on social media. All his links are in this episode's show notes He goes by It's Triple Crown on Twitter, Instagram, and eBay, and Triple Crown 24 on YouTube. Thanks again to JT, and thanks for listening.